As a mother, wife, and divorce attorney for over 15 years, experience has taught me a lot about how to deal with times of uncertainty, transition, and facing opportunities for growth. I'm happy you're joining me for this part of the journey. Hello, if you have a baby or are expecting a baby, you will not want to miss my guest on today's show. This could be the best 20 to 30 minutes of your life. Jessica Bryant is a sleep consultant. She is the owner of Sleep Happy Consulting, and it is her mission to help parents of newborns create healthy sleep routines so that they can all be confident and relaxed. Jessica knows about what she's talking about because she is actually the parent of three children who are teenagers now, uh, two of whom are twins. And so she uh, encountered challenges early on with her own children and now is committed to helping other families. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> so can you tell us what is a pediatric sleep consultant? <laughs> A pediatric sleep consultant is someone who works with families um, with children birth to six years old um, and really helps them set sleep routines and helps them bring them into a predictable routines so that children are waking up rested um, and ready for their day and parents can stop spending their days fighting babies and toddlers for sleep um, and enjoy them. <laughs> That's such a great idea to be able to enjoy your children. I remember when my babies were young, it felt like the days were so long and now looking back on it, I see how short it really was that time. But when your baby isn't sleeping well, it can create a lot of stress and strain um, throughout the family. How does sleep consulting help uh, marriages and, and help families? <laughs> well, something I didn't expect when I started my business five years ago was that I was going to have a lot of families tell me that I was the reason that their spouse got back into the bedroom. <laughs> so um, sleep, um, a lot of times today, you know, you're, you're just doing anything to survive to get by, and you're very overwhelmed by all the messages um, out there on parenting that you and I didn't have when we first became parents. Um, and so it can be overwhelming. And also, a lot of parents today are holding a baby for the very first time. So in years past where you might have had a sister who had a baby or a neighbor or a niece, you know, where you kind of knew what normal newborn is like how noisy they are, how wakeful they are, their cues and things like that. That's all very foreign today. And so parents just get overwhelmed and just survives. And sometimes that means that one parent sleeps in the guest room or in one of my clients' cases on the futon. Um, and then the baby and the mother sleep in the bedroom, you know, for feeding and things like that. And so months and months can go by and that can cause a lot of stress for everyone. You know, it's interesting because I do remember how the sleep guidance really changed, even, you know, from the time I had my firstborn to the time I, you know, my, my middle child came along um, three and a half years later. And so the the guidance and direction seems to change uh, and kind of have different trends. So where one time you're putting the baby to sleep on the stomach and then the next time you're putting them to sleep on the back. What are some of the trends that are happening now with regards to guidance for 
new parents? Um, there's some new recommendations about rooming in, um, having the baby's bassinet or crib in the room for, for different durations, um, sometimes six months. There's even been some recommendations for a year. Um, and so that's very much up to the family. And I think a missing piece of that is how well is the fam are the parents sleeping? You know, um, is are the, is the mom or dad sleeping better because the, the child is close or are they sleeping worse because babies are really noisy? <laughs> um, and it's really easy to think that every noise is a wake up, you know, and so then you absolutely accidentally cause, you know, more wake-ups because you're responding to them and getting them up or, or starting a multiple feeding pattern or, or things like that. And it can just get hard to know how to get out of that if you feel like it's not working anymore. What are some signs if you're sleep deprived? I mean, I'm just thinking back to those days. I, you know, I knew I was waking up throughout the night, but I, I didn't really know the impact that it was having. And so what are some, some signs people should look out for if they're really not getting enough sleep? Um, it would be how they feel when they woke up in the morning. If they're not being able to rest during the day, especially moms who are returning to work, which can look a little different now, but um, you're not being able to get the rest and feel rested. You feel more anxious, um, more irritable. Um, a lot, a couple of moms have told me they've driven through a, thing, a stop sign. Oh. They didn't realize how tired they were, but their reaction time um, and their response time to things is much slower because they've been going on months and months of sleep deprivation. And we're not necessarily talking about the first 12 weeks, you know, newborns and that. That's very age appropriate. It's more like, are we at the five months, six months, seven months, you know, or 14 months of life and we, we aren't getting, you know, at least five to seven hours of straight sleep a night. It can really cause a lot of mental health issues and, and, and stress. I would think depression, anxiety are just some of the issues that can arise for new parents and, mm -hmm. and difficulty bonding. So, I mean, we know that sleep is so important <laughs> to everyone's health. What does a healthy sleep routine look like? Well, it's different for different ages, but most of the time it's some pattern of 11 to 12 hours at sleep at night. Um, and there's different ages that's appropriate. By the time, you know, you're uh, six, six months or so, babies should be sleeping 11 to 12 hours at night and they might have one feeding or two feedings max. But um, by one, we're getting all our calories during the day and able to sleep at night. Um, and then toddlers the same. You pretty much are on an 11 to 12 hour sleep schedule until school age. Um, and then of course, the younger children are having different types of naps and things like that that add to their total sleep. I just think it's so fascinating. Tell me when um, when you are working with a family, um, are you coming and staying the night with them? How, how, how does a consultant work and help advise a family? Most of the time I am working virtually with a family. Um, we are starting with a phone consultation and then the difference in my services that I offer in my support is real-time text support. So from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. in your time zone, you have access to me through texting. And so that just keeps the parents feeling encouraged um, because we had we missed a nap what do I do now you know or what are what are we working through at bedtime you just have a team member you have a cheerleader there to keep you and then with um, spouses I hear all the time 
well, what would Jessica do? You know, <laughs> I am the third party that settles the debate. You know, should we go in? Should we give them five more minutes? You know, is are we going to this event and it's going to be an hour later for bedtime? All of those things. And so <laughs> dads tell me all the time, yeah, I had to sit back down on the stairs. I couldn't go up. And you were right. She went right back to sleep. <laughs> I love it. You know, as a, a divorce attorney, I hear oftentimes from parents who are divorcing with young children about their different opinions on sleep patterns and sleep, you know, whether whether the child should be co-sleeping with a parent, mm -hmm. how long they should co-sleep. So I know that's an issue that comes up in a lot of marriages that are falling apart. I imagine it's also something that you get to see and <laughs> maybe kind of get to be a mediator uh, for families. Um, do you have any stories or experiences that you can share about um, how how parents were able to resolve some of their different ideas about sleep routines? A lot of it often has to do with just understanding the child development behind the patterns that they're they're experiencing with sleep. You know, how many. For instance, if you've got a toddler and you're co-sleeping and you're trying to make the decision of if you're ready to introduce independent sleep or you want to keep um, the co-sleeping routines if both parents are on board. I think it's first, you know, we talk about how well they're sleeping. Um, and then we're also talking about a lot of times um, children are falling asleep on mom or they're falling asleep on a bottle or nursing. And... So that requires mom to be the one and only person doing the bedtime routine. So there can be a lot of frustration and stress there because, you know, if you have to do it every night for 14 months, at some point you, you want a break. But, but the child doesn't know anything different. So it's also stressful than in to just say to your spouse, you do it. <laughs> that doesn't work. So really talking through routines and the reason behind the child's response or the preferences the child is giving and how to work together to move that. If you're going to co-sleep and you're in agreement, then you have to set up boundaries within that. So maybe removing feeding is a big piece. You know, even with two-year-olds, you know, sometimes they're still being fed in the night. So changing that pattern, helping the child learn that that doesn't help them sleep healthy and it's no longer an option. That way, you know, another thing is parents can put the child in the family bed at the child's bedtime and then leave and come back, you know, at their bedtime. So there's just all different ways to set it up for families to be successful within their comfort zone and what they want for their, their children. But it is very important to be on the same page and talk through it. But sometimes the child development piece really helps support one parent's thoughts or the other or come together on an agreement of what the next steps are. What, is, what are some of the biggest challenges that parents face when they are changing the, this child's sleep routine? I'm just thinking back to, you know, the whole idea of like, do you let the child cry it out? How long do they cry? Mm -hmm. I mean, I know as a parent, those emotional mm -hmm. heartstrings were, were, were something that I had to deal with. <laughs> How do you advise parents about that? Or, and, and what do you see parents really struggling with? It's definitely that question is um, how does a child learn new routines? Um, how do they share their voice? And really understanding the differences in their communication. And when, when parents are asking about should I let my child cry, my first conversation is let's back up. 
you know, let's look at their daily routines. Let's look at the place we're at. Are we setting our child up for success to learn these new sleep routines, whether it's independent sleeping or, you know, going in their sleep space and calming their own bodies to put themselves to sleep? Um, and where do we start? We don't just decide one day, oh, we're not doing this anymore and put the baby down to, to protest or to share their voice because that doesn't work. They could have been overtired, you know, that their timing could have been off. They could have been hungry, all of those things. So we, we, we talk through how to set your child up for success, what you're working on. And then we also, we talk about different methods in, in, um, of your response because I think today parents feel this pressure that they have to do everything for their child. They have to respond at the first peep, um, at the first grunt. Um, and so learning that your baby is a human being and has lots of communications and has a different calming way to calm and organize their body than maybe their sibling and giving them that space to learn the new pattern. The space part is really the hardest. Um, when we're learning new routines. And, and there's different options. There's just not one way. And so that's what we tailor. Um, and then we also make allowances if a child is at two homes um, and really building confidence in the one parent that does reach out that it's okay for their partner to do it their way at their house. But here's how you make it successful at your house. I think that's such a good point. I know, you know, when I think back to being a young parent, you know, there was this desire to do everything right. And I think understanding that there's not just one right way to do it, right? That's, I, I love right. that. Right. That's so important. <laughs> I remember um, one of my friends coming to stay in the first four weeks of my oldest, and I was just so upset about how my husband was, you know, holding the baby up or doing this the wrong way. And she was like, it's okay. <laughs> It's good for him to do it differently. And that was, I had to say that over and over in my head a little bit because you just, <laughs> you feel like you have to control and you have to do it right. And you only know how to do it right. And so. I think some of the best advice I got was from my mother who told me, you know, the most important thing is that you just love them <laughs> and everything else will fall into place. And um, and I've gone back to that many times, especially with teenagers uh, through the teenage years. Yes. But I love that. Um, so children are, are different. There's no one guide, one size fits all. And you mentioned siblings. Um, and, and I think keeping in mind the fact that different children have different needs. Mm -hmm. And so you know, having work with you, maybe with the, the firstborn, they might think that it's going to be the same for the second, mm -hmm. but I imagine that there's a lot of variation in, in how you there work is. with children. There is. Um, and some families are like, I just know I need to call Jessica at this point and <laughs> it'll all work out. Um, other families, um, you know, are using the same skills that they learned working with me with the oldest. And then sometimes you get a wild card and you're just much more <laughs> tired when there's three of them. So um, we, we definitely go back and we, and, and they are different and we do have to go, we have to change our methods and we have to go, but the framework is still very much the same, um, but we do make, make tweaks to make it an individualized plan so that for the success of the baby. Do you help parents learn how to recognize the signs or to hear the different kinds of cries? Mm -hmm. I, re I remember hearing something about that back uh, back in the day when I had the babies was the idea that they have different cries mm -hmm. for different mm -hmm. things. That's a big piece, you know, so much of, oh, I don't want to do cry it out, you know, that everyone um, says it's, 
we're following the baby at every step of the way. What are they telling us, you know, and how do we, you know, compare that with awake times? Um, where are their sleepy cues falling? How is their sleepy cue different from their hunger cue? And there are many, many parents who reach out to me at eight months, you know, nine months and say, I really struggle with that. Um, and so, and that can be a difference between parents as well, mom and dad, you know, and, and I lots of times talk to dads. I'm like, you like give the baby a chance, like let's test it out. Let's see what you think it is. What is their check engine light? I often tell dads because that, that makes more sense to them. You know, that's that. um, learning your check engine light early, learning how to calm and soothe your baby. What sensory pattern do they like early to give mom a break? Um, those kind of things. But it also helps to just have someone else because they're going to see different things. But cues are huge and babies do communicate very early. I love that. That is that is great. I think it's not something that's talked about enough. You know, I, a lot of parents can feel like a failure because they're not reading the cues. Mm -hmm. And um, really, it's just about becoming more in tune and learning the language of your baby. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I don't think that's talked about. There was this great um, research study that was done with preemies. Um, and it was about NICU nurses responding, you know, and they're trying to keep these babies alive. It's very, very important, the, the medicine and response and healthcare they're giving. But their babies weren't thriving. And when they kind of backed up and started communicating with these tiny, tiny babies and, you know, arriving slower, giving an indication, talking to them and waiting, you know, waiting for little responses, whether it's body language or a certain kind of sound, you know, and then administering the medicine, the, the, the amount the the babies were thriving and it made such a difference in their overall health that there was a back and forth there was communication between their caretaker and and their um their health so oh my gosh there's just there's so much we don't know <laughs> mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. um i love that well tell what advice do you have for parents of twins or, or multiples i know you you went through that that was one thing i always thought I'd, i when I would be awake at night with my my infant, I'd think, I don't know how parents do it who have two at one time. So what advice do you have? <laughs> Number one, accept all help that is offered. <laughs> um, just say yes. Um, and and it, I will say that was a hard time used to relationship-wise because you have no time, you know, in those first couple of months. And so um, twins, really getting them on the same schedule. I know everybody says that, but it really is not a myth. It really can be done. Um, and the big, big one is allowing the twins to adapt to each other's voices and cries. They really can sleep in the same room. They really can sleep through each other's cries. And I think that is cries or sounds, I should probably mm -hmm. say. Um, you know, if one needs to be fed, um, you know, or diaper change or something like that in the night, you don't have to like rush in um, and get them both up or things like that. So just that's the biggest one is just helping the children get used to being in the same environment. They're actually comforted by each other's cries. Um, so that's a lot of times where crutches come in because parents feel like they have to rush in and get one out because they might wake the other. That's so interesting. I never thought of that. Mm -hmm. um, what, what advice do you have for parents, maybe if they're expecting right now they don't have a baby in the home <laughs> yet, um, what can they do to help get ready for, for what's to come, for the sleep deprivation, for sleep routines? Um, I think talking about, um, talking about what they think that they 
or feel about sleep, um, what they're looking forward to in the babies. And I think also there's so much research about, um, you know, drop in relationship percentages as you become new parents. I think even talking about what helps them when they're stressed. You know, if um, if the mom is able to say, um, you know, it really helps when you do X, Y, or Z, or same thing with the dad. So they just kind of have a little framework, a plan for those tough days where, you know, you just <laughs> <laughs> nothing goes right and it really isn't your fault. Um, I think that that helps. And really also, especially for the dad, um, help the mom stay centered and learn to trust her own instincts. And she might need help just kind of quieting those voices, whether they're on an Instagram scroll or they're family members that have their own thoughts and directions. And that's really causing her anxiety mm -hmm. or added stress because she's doubting herself. Because the, the best thing is just that you, it's trial and error. I've had several parents say, but, but I don't want to make a mistake. And I'll say, but that's how we learn. You know, you think the baby's hungry, so you go to feed them, but then they're not hungry. Okay, make a note. <laughs> that cry or this kind of sound didn't mean hunger, you know? And so the next time you hear it, okay, try swaddling them up and putting them to sleep. Oh, it meant sleep. You know, just helping each other check that engine light and learn that um, the baby's um, cues is helpful. Um and also just learning that dad's going to do it different than mom. <laughs> I think a, a lot of grace for yourself um, because you're, you're not supposed to get it right every time. I love this. You're mm -hmm. supposed to make mistakes. You're supposed to experiment mm -hmm. and see what works. Mm -hmm. And having grace for each other is really important too. And to not think that everybody has it figured out. I mean, you and I, I'm a 17-year-old and I'm still a first-time parent, you know? Like, I haven't done this 10 times, you know? So um, giving yourself grace and, and having, reminding each other of that, I think is really important because you might look on a screen and it might communicate to you that they have it all together and they don't. One thing I heard early on was that if you are feeling frustrated, it means your expectations are out of line, right? Oh, yes. And so the, the good news is that um, you get to control the adjusting of expectations. <laughs> so I, I, I often thought, oh, I'm really frustrated in this moment. My you know two-year-old isn't going down for the nap and we have a birthday party and everything is getting thrown off. And I, I would just have to stop and say, you know mm -hmm. what, I'm I'm expecting too much right now. Mm -hmm. You know, things are, are going to go as they're going to go, and I'm going to do the best that I can. And sometimes that's it, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes you just have to walk outside and take a deep breath. Sometimes you have to walk away from a crying baby and take a deep breath. Um, I have I've many clients. A lot of my packages are um, seven-day support plans, and it'll be like day three, and mom will be like, but it's not working. And I'm like, remember, it's still very new. We've only practiced this twice, you know, <laughs> uh, for a baby. They're looking for that pattern. It's still new. It's new to you. Um, sometimes I have parents who struggle more with the changes than the than the child. So, yes, giving yourself grace, lowering your expectations, and, and reflecting on what patterns work and what patterns don't. When, um, when should a family consult with an expert? <laughs> when, do you, when, when is it time to call in um, extra help? It really depends on the personality of, of the family. Um, I have a lot of moms who will describe themselves as type A, um, and they reach out um, at six weeks, you know, or even before they have a baby, and we start there. And they just 
like to continue the check the ability to check in. Okay, this is what's happening this week. What should I be looking for? Or this is not working. What should we do? Oh, we should stretch that awake timer. Oh, we need to move that feed. Or oh, you know, we need to increase the ounces for daycare or things like that. Um, and then I have other moms who, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna co-sleep for X amount of time. I'll call Jessica when I'm ready to transition. Um, and then there's the moms who have hit rock bottom and um, they're lost. They don't, they don't have any other ideas. They're exhausted. They're frustrated. Um, I had one mom so amazing and she's like, I, I'm doing some crazy things. I, I don't know what else to do. I don't have any resources. Um, and it's my first baby. And, you know, we're watching, I put at 11 o'clock at night, I put my, my toddler into the baby swing and I turn it on and I turn a show on. And then when he starts fussing, I give him puffs because she just, she was trying anything she could. I mean, you, we, we all do things to just get by and we don't know what it's like for her. And she, then she would transfer him to the crib. Um, and the doctor had told her not to offer a nap anymore for this 13 month old. So super overstimulated, overtired. Of course she had to use a swing to get him down. <laughs> Plus he was big. She Aww. couldn't, you know, and in three days he was sleeping eight to eight and taking two naps. You I know? love that story. <laughs> I mean, there is hope, you yes. know. I think if you're if you're struggling with the feeling of sleep deprivation and feeling like you just can't handle everything, it's okay. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're not alone in that. There is and, no bad yeah. sleeper. I get that all the time. Is he just a bad sleeper? No, absolutely not. <laughs> Life with a newborn is not always a Kodak moment. I say that, and I realize like a lot of people may not even know what Kodak is anymore. <laughs> but it's not Instagrammable. It's not Instagrammable. That's right. There are lots of moments that aren't. Um, how can how can our families get in touch with you if they want to learn more about working with with a sleep happy consultant um you can reach out to me by phone um or on instagram i'm at sleep happy i also have a website sleep happy consulting um and um i'd love to hear from you and hear about your little one in there and their sleep it's my favorite thing <laughs> <laughs> that's great and we will definitely include links to your website um in this video so thank you so much jessica for coming and for all the work you're doing to help families make the adjustment with a newborn in the home i appreciate it so much it was a pleasure to be here thank you jennifer thank you